Johnny. I'm Johnny. He's George. We got a lot to talk about this week. Admins behaving badly. Ohio State doing some night games, which I think probably everybody saw coming. Relegation for college football? I don't know. Uh, Damascus anythings, which should be good. And then um, something that's unique to Ohio State and the campus. So we're going to get into all of that. First of all, George, this has been a long Memorial Day weekend. We've had a lot going on for all of us. I know you're just back. I mean, literally within the past, like, what, hour, basically, from South Carolina? The plane. Yeah. yeah. How, was, how, was your, how was your trip? Johnny, <laughs> I have a story you're not going to believe. I would love to hear but it. But first of all. And you wouldn't I even let. You. So before we started recording, you wouldn't even tell me because you wanted this reaction to be genuine. So this, I'm, I'm very excited for the story. I want you to enjoy this as much as the audience is about okay. to. But first, let me just say I hope you and your family had a very happy Memorial Day. It was great. Got to see the family a little bit. Um, aunts and uncles. You know, my my son doesn't uh, he doesn't make a ton of appearances sometimes down in Milltown just because it's you know a little difficult to get down there. But a lot of people got to see him, so it was good. Cool. Nice. Yeah, I enjoyed my time with my family too. And then I got on an airplane uh, to get back here. <laughs> Uh, But before I did that, I had to go through the security line, as uh, many do. And uh, I was uh, going from Charleston to South Carolina to Miami. And uh, so, you know, not not the most robust airport infrastructure out there on the South Carolina coast. But, you know, you make do with what you got. And so there's about like a 20 minute hold up and people are getting pretty antsy and looking at the uh, TSA person, looking at the monitors. And they're like, all right, what's what's going on here? Come on. This is crazy. Finally, we all start eventually slowly making our way through the bottleneck. And then uh, I see they're getting ready to search a bag. And I'm like, okay, this is what's been holding it up. This will be interesting. Now, you see plenty of people get searched during these, you know, holiday times. Sure. You know, they're pulling out lotions, you know, that are over eight ounces, what have you. Nothing ever to. You rarely ever see anything of the caliber of a firearm or something that makes you genuinely go, well, what's going on there? But they started pulling unmarked, white, cream-colored, thick, not quite brick, but like jar-sized tight bags out of this <laughs> suitcase. And they get about two dozen of these things out of there. And there's like some Sharpie markings on them, but these are like clean, clean bags. And they're, they're holding Sounds them legit. like they're... I don't see the issue. Well, um, at this point, this is the first time that I, I simply can't be bothered to wait for my bags in the security line. Now, now yeah. I got to see this through and see what's going you gotta on. You got to see that through. I mean, come so on. there, of course, like, you know, this story is going to be great. This guy was a, a French Creole man who was lis- who was visiting his family in the low country in South Carolina and on his way home, you know, he had gone out there to see his family just like any of us would. Didn't bring a uh, check bag, only had a carry on. And his generous family gave him crepe, uh, beignet, and waffle mix, about two dozen bags worth. And he could not refuse such a generous gift from his parents. But he had no bag to take it home in. Oh, my God. And so he decided to just – he figured this was going to happen. But <laughs> knowing he had absolutely no guilt in the situation, he just decided to grit his teeth and bear it. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in an airport. He walked out of there with what might as well have been two bricks of what whatever powder – have. it was mixed, so it was powder. And it just – they put it back in the suitcase and, and he just went on his way. It was as a man that was flying back to Miami. It was spectacular to see. That's hilarious. First of all, I, shipping exists. You can, you can believe it or not. You can send packages from one location to the other. I'm pretty sure in America in 2023, that's wild. Also like, I just want to imagine what this guy was thinking on the way from packing his suitcase to the airport. You know what I mean? Like there had to have been like a whole internal monologue where he's like, this could go wrong in so many different ways, but I really need this damn beignet mix. And if I don't get it, I'm going to lose my mind. Like that's insane. 
That's insane. He was committed to the bit, man. And truth oh is God. stranger than fiction. I saw it today for myself. I, I'd never believe it if I didn't see it with my own eyes. I'm definitely going to just throw this in the trash. I, I'd straight up told the woman that was looking at the monitor, can you believe this goofy business? And she like about doubled over laughing. So they all <laughs> recognized how ridiculous the situation was. Everybody did. It was it was unbelievable. That's pretty but fantastic. Full credit to the guy. He was stone-faced the whole time. Oh, my God. No, you got I be. am guilty of be. nothing. No, no, no. If you're that dude in that situation, <laughs> you can't betray any kind of humor whatsoever. You have to pretend like, no, ma'am, no, sir. I'm here to get my beignet mix home. That's why I'm here. If you if you make a joke out of it, if you make any kind of like indication that you think this is funny, they're going to throw you in jail. So it has to be 100% serious on his part. He was the only guy that didn't laugh through the whole thing. That's and fantastic. full credit to him. He was committed him. to the bit. I respected him for it. Yeah, I respect the hell out of that. That's awesome. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you got through TSA. I'm glad he got through TSA and that you're here. Um, and now I'm shining on the dub. And now you're shining on the dub cast in Miami. Bienvenido. Miami. So lots of things to talk about. I want to start with admins behaving badly. I wrote about this a little bit, uh, this past weekend on the weekender and, and, Look, there's been a lot of stories in NCAA uh, sports um, about these admins kind of just not doing their job either at the college level or at the conference level. We're going to get into Kevin Warren in a little bit. And, and the thing I want to preface all of this with is that, you know, when we and when I say we, I mean, the conferences, I'm not doing any of it. But when we hire these guys, it's usually for a very specific purpose. I mean, yes, these jobs are wide ranging and there's tons of stuff that they have to do as, as a part of it. But typically it's because there is a specific goal that needs to be accomplished uh, by that person that uh, the rest of the organization, be it the university or the conference, they want to see done. Like Kevin Warren's job was to secure the bag for television broadcast rights, right? Like that was his number one priority when he came into the job that he was doing. And a lot of these guys, when they have those, those priorities seem to enjoy, you know, instead, you know, taking million dollar trips or doing crazy stuff or being abusive to coworkers or just not finishing the paperwork on like billions of dollars worth of projects. So the first thing I, I, I talked about, I mentioned, uh, this is from uh, John Canzano. At uh, he actually has johnconzano.com. It's it's like a Substack. You can like subscribe to him, whatever. He talked about Larry Scott, the Pac-12. Um, basically, all kinds of impropriety that he says has been going on. Um, <laughs> he dubs it the Champagne Larry tax. Canzano does that. There were just hundreds of thousands here, millions of dollars there. Uh, one thing that he says, so he, he writes, Larry Scott flew in a charter jet. He stayed in five heart, five star hotels and soaked in marble tubs. I really love that uh, detail, by the way, that Kenzano had. Like, I have firsthand knowledge that Larry Scott soaked in marble tubs. Uh, when it came to building the corporate headquarters, the ex-commissioner insisted on a building that cost the conference $696,000 a month in rent. That's a lot of money. He also double dipped on his salary, claiming to be a media executive as well as a commissioner, earning $50 million in salary for himself over the years. Uh, I mean, that's, so that's just savvy marketing right there. That's I, a clearly, great way to bring. Right. So that's that's Larry Scott at the Pac-12. Um, they they talk about, you know, like the quote that the killer quote that Kenzano puts in this about Larry Scott is we're basically turning over rocks these days and finding disasters that Larry left, left for us. So that's that's bad. Uh so Mike Bone over there at the USC athletic director, he resigned recently within the past couple of weeks uh, due to allegations of inappropriate comments that he made to female colleagues, things like that. Um, and then further investigations were found that at Cincinnati, the guy was doing inappropriate comments of a racial nature. So also pretty terrible. So this is a guy who kind of got booted, uh, shoved out the door, but still kind of like went up the ladder in the process of doing it. And then finally, you know, talking about Kevin Warren. So this is actually an article that Thamel put out uh, on the 21st. And this is what really blows my mind. So Tony uh, Padetti is, is coming in and he's taking over for Kevin Warren. And the thing is, Kevin Warren was supposed to negotiate these contracts, these new television, these new broadcasting rights for the Big Ten worth billions of dollars. I mean, this is an unbelievably 
big deal. We're talking about like $7 billion, like at the minimum, there could be even more when it comes to like other stuff that, you know, comes out. Here are some of the things that schools found out in the wake of Warren leaving. They're going to have to pay nearly $40 million to Fox because Warren delivered, according to sources that FAML has, Warren delivered the NBC Big Ten football title game in 2026 without the full authority to do that. They're also going to have to pay $25 million total for a deal to pay Fox back because they lost a bunch of uh, COVID games, for example. They didn't know they were going to have to do that. And then there's tens of millions of dollars in the primetime deal with NBC in flux because it wasn't fully finalized by the time Kevin Warren left. So some people are blaming the, uh, the ADs at the schools for approving this stuff without it being fully uh, you know, put through. The coaches like Izzo and, uh, you know, uh, Holtman is, is talking about it. Ryan Day has been talking about it, that they weren't consulted on it. Everybody seems to be pretty pissed right now. My overall take on this is this. I am floored that guys who are responsible for this much money, right, are given this much leeway to be that bad at their jobs. That's what blows my mind. And, and granted, guys like Mike Bone, he's out, great. He, he did stupid stuff. He should have been fired. He was fired. That's great. Okay, he resigned. Okay. Um, but Kevin Warren not finishing the paperwork, that's some Marbury versus Madison stuff. Like that's yeah. how can you not finish the stuff on your way out on contracts worth billions of dollars? That blows my mind. You you missed the kicker though, which quite literally is that Kevin Warren may very well still get a bonus for the work that he did <laughs> right. as Big that's Ten right. Commissioner, which is quite literally like f- upwards failure and the w- the worst part of that upwards failure is the job that he now occupies. Can you imagine being Justin Fields and you had to deal with Kevin Warren in 2020 during the COVID nonsense Oh, good Lord! and during your follow-up year. Right. And then you go to the bears and you're on your way of trying to drag them out of mediocrity. They just had the top pick in the draft that they traded. Mm-hmm. So they were the worst team in the league last year. And then they hire Kevin Warren to be president of the team. <laughs> Justin <laughs> Fields is like, I can't outrun this guy. Remember me? I feel me for Kevin. Mr. Fields. Oh, my God. This, I mean, it's nonsense. As a Bears fan, I'm mortified of this guy. But of the course. fact that he can still get a bonus for this when he – I'm curious how much that could literally be given how much money he compromised in this deal. It's It's calamity. It, yeah. With lawyers reading this stuff, it it literally does not make sense how a high level media contract like this could be fumbled this badly. I'm totally flummoxed by what I've read about this story. Yeah, it's it, absurd. It's pretty wild. I, I feel like more should have been made of it when it was published. Um, and you know, a lot of this is is like you know, family reporting. It's it's kind of people talking about what think might happen. It's not necessarily set in stone. But um, the quotes that are included on here are really what I think are the the killer parts of it. So, like, this is Ward Manuel, Michigan uh, Athletic Director, which, again, we talked about last week. Michigan has no, uh, you know, lack of of scandal and problems in their own athletic department. But uh, NBC was surprised and I was surprised. We had not discussed and I had not discussed with anyone in the league to change the tolerances we agreed on years ago um that basically you know that's the kind of contracts and you know when they're going to have to have certain games and things like that um uh the fault here is with administrators on campus said another another industry source how do the presidents chancellors and athletic directors not know this the university's all signed off on the deal um yeah tony is trying to save it and what penn state and ohio state are doing is actually trying to minimize the losses which this is the other thing about it not michigan but well that's right while this is being worked through, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State are agreeing to concessions to try to paper this thing over and save the deal and make sure that it's okay. Michigan's like, ah, go to hell. We're not doing that. Um, you, you know Harbaugh kicked down the door to, to Warner's office and said, don't, don't you dare give them anything. Don't you dare give up any ground in this. <laughs> yeah, and I don't I need and, every edge in this war, Ed, dude. Don't you right. dare give anything up. So the, the whole it's thing ridiculous. is freaking wild, and I don't – it's all going to get finalized. It will all be figured out, but it should not be. I mean, look, you know, I'm looking at my watch. I believe we're, let's see, one, two, we're like three months away from the season starting. Kind of feels like this stuff should have been finalized a while ago. So for it to be that, you know, in flux 
is bonkers to me. And, you know, they talk about in the article, Jim Delaney, um, you know, getting a $20 million bonus. I do not think Kevin Warren will get $20 million. He was not in the position long enough, uh, but he could get multiple millions of dollars. And like you said, that's insane. And now he's in charge of your favorite team in the NFL. So congratulations on that. That'll be fun. That'll be a lot of, a lot of entertainment, I think, for you, particularly at an organization so traditionally as well governed as uh, the Chicago Bears. In, in the day and age of goofy accounting we live in, I bet Kevin Warren somehow gets more money than Jen Delaney. He might. That's, he knows, my, that's my hottest take about this story. Yeah, and the, it, look, those these are hard jobs. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. I'm not saying some Yahoo can just walk in and figure it out. But that's kind of the point is that yeah. – and it's not just Kevin Warren, obviously. I mean, Larry Scott, this you know, this guy Bone at, at Cincinnati, USC. When you have unserious people in positions that require serious, you know, decisions to be made, then you're going to have mistakes. You're going to see problems. They're going to compound on themselves. And when you're talking about billions of dollars, maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's an issue. So, uh, it, and to that point, I mean, credit Tony. Petiti, the new commit. I don't know. I have not. That's the first time I've tried to say that guy's name. Petiti, the new Big Ten commissioner. He's coming into a mess, and he could have very much just been like, oh, we can't do anything here. But I mean, the fact that he's already got the big players in the conference, like trying to make concessions here to like, you know, we've guys, we've all got a big mess and we're all involved in this and we need to clean it up. The fact that he's kind of rallying the troops this quickly, it'll be interesting to see if he gets Michigan to fold in with that. But, you know, credit to the new commission. I'm already inspired by how active he is in trying to clean this up more than anything I saw. Well, you don't have a choice. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, like... <laughs> Talking myself into it. Well, but you know what I'm saying, though? Like, if you walk into a house that you just bought and then, like, you know, the entire basement's flooded, well, you're not buying a new house. You got you to gotta clean out that basement. You got to, you know... Well, I mean, you could just live in the basement. You could just live you in could the basement. resolve to fix it up. You could be a... You could be a, a Bears fan. Little, little, little <laughs> goblin. That's that's little cop. Little basement Goblins goblin. Um, so yeah, that's a wild story. We'll we'll continue to see kind of how it evolves, particularly as we get closer to the season and, and how much the Big Ten is able to clean this thing up. Again, I think they'll be fine. I don't I don't think any schools are going to be hurting for money. There were an analysis put out there about um, you know, uh, how much each conference is paying each school. Big Ten is still doing pretty good in that regard. I think they're between something like seven and $10 million ahead of the next highest conference, the SEC. So even, even with, you know, I think some would argue mediocre football and, and some shenanigans going with their television rights or broadcasting rights, I still think that the big Ten's doing pretty well in that respect. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Next thing I want to talk about real quick, Joel Klatt on his podcast, I talked about this, I framed it as a relegation thing. I don't think it's actually relegation. I don't think that he was talking about. It. I don't think he's saying that these schools are going to be dropped and then if they perform better, they'll be brought back. Um, but on his podcast, he said, um, you know, he's talking about the the money involved here. So he says, you know what's next for us in college football? I told you this is never going to stop, right? I wasn't lying. This is never going to stop because it's about who can we add to increase value so that we can all make more money. Well, pretty soon it's going to start being about who can we drop. I know people think I'm crazy and look at me kind of sideways. That's absolutely coming because, again, there's not an unlimited source of money, and the money uh, then has to get smarter. So, of course, the Big Ten's added, you know, some big-time L.A. teams. Great. Uh, but Clad is saying that may not be enough. you got to drop the Indianas and Marylands of the world, possibly, from the Big Ten, the Northwesterns and the, you know, the Rutgers. Like, do you think that's coming down the pike I, you know, I think culturally it's difficult, not. but on the other hand, you know, Rutgers hasn't been part of the Big Ten for very long. So would anybody shed a tear? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think this is a larger symptom. Like, this is kind of a lead in to what is eventually going to be happening here. Like, mm -hmm. is we, we are going to see the regionality of college football that we love, like, kind of gradually fade out in favor of just what's going to be best for, uh, you know, putting together annual games of ratings during the performance during the regular season. And that's kind of sad. Um, you know, it's, it represents how much the, the sport I think is shifting uh, and is going to over the next 10 years, you know, not even respect of the NIL stuff, but it, it that's also just kind of a reflection of how much, 
you know, this was an amateur activity for so long and now money is completely turning the game on its head. So this, this dynamic, that everything is about to change very quickly. I don't know how quickly other like traditional teams and traditional conferences are going to fall out of favor, but uh, we're, we're heading down a path where I think teams like Rutgers and Maryland that may not have been in the big 10 very long. Uh, you don't know how I think Rutgers is a bit of a nice feather in the cap just cause you know, it's like all oh, the birthplace of college football. It was in the big 10, but you know, Maryland get, get out of here, but I'll be sad to see Northwestern go. I don't want them to leave. Well, and the thing is, I, the thing is the regionality stuff, it's part of how you sell your conference. You know what I mean? It, it, that's part of how you promote your conference and whatnot. And like you said, when you start to add coast to coast teams, that makes it a lot more difficult to make that as part of your pitch. Like this isn't good old big 10 football in the Midwest when you're adding New Jersey and California to it. Um, well, here's, here's another way that I look at it. One of the ways that I like fell in love with the sport. I mean, we talked about NCAA football last week and they used to have a mode in that game where they had like all the rivalries in D1 sorted for and D2. Cause I remember, you know, I'm carrying a flame for William and Mary over here. Of course. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you got it. You got it. I but, mean, come on. Right. They're the best team. But I, that was one of the ways I learned about the sport outside of the big 10 was just like exploring the rivalries and stuff. And I've, I'm uh, I love West Virginia and I've, I've been devastated to see them lose the friends of Cole bowl with Marshall because of what you've gradually seen. And also the black diamond trophy with Virginia tech, all these different rivalries have just gradually like kind of eroded away. The backyard brawl is another excellent example of one that up until very recently just kind of completely fell out of the purview. So you're seeing a lot of that traditional regional like stuff that helped make the sport at what it is to get this kind of revenue. It's if you remove that, are you still going to have the same level of interest compared to what the NFL offers as a product? How much of a difference is there really outside of skill level if we're not you know, playing this in a, in a different sort of framework than what we're seeing with the NFL. There's right. not really going to be much of a distinction, which quite literally is how we've gotten with the financial component from no more amateurs. It's just everybody's getting paid. So it's, it's interesting how those two things reflect off each other. But I don't like the direction the sport is heading, Johnny. The thing is, you know, I mean, it's you mentioned some of those rivalries. When's the last time Ohio State uh, played Illinois for Illibuck, right? Now, granted, that rivalry kind of fell out of favor because Illinois was terrible forever and people stopped giving a crap about it. But the, the Dude, point have is, you ever driven to Champaign, Illinois? No. Champaign no Larry problem. wouldn't drive to Champaign, Illinois, <laughs> dude. He wouldn't fly there with his $50 no. million. Yeah, I have no desire to do that, and I probably never will. And the thing is, is that, like, I understand what Clad is saying. I mean, when you're talking about a purely money profit motivated um you know perspective right there's no reason not to drop a Rutgers, which for a long time was struggling even to break even with their athletic department was so in the red that they you know basically relied on the rest of the conference to prop them up now i think they've done a little bit better in the past couple of years but like that was a necessity for them just to maintain a sport like football an incredibly expensive sport like football so I can understand why Clat would be like, look, man, like especially conferences that are that aren't as profitable as the Big Ten, they might look at that and say, why would we have these these teams in here? I, I think that will be a longer process than maybe Clat thinks. Um, it's not going to be a situation where I think we'll get to that in the next five years or maybe even ten years because those those regional connections still are strong. And the other thing that I think people have to understand is like it's not just about sports. Those those conference connections go to like research and development, medical school, that kind of stuff. And granted we're talking about a sports thing, but that, that cultural connection is important because of that. I think it'll take a little bit longer, but I wouldn't be surprised if the sport ended up to that point um, at some point, because it's, it is ultimately about the dollars and you know, how are you selling yourself to broadcasters, right? Like what, what are these games that you're going to be putting on at night? What are the games that are going to be able to capture the attention of an audience, you know, at a certain time slot, that kind of stuff. And the big 10, I mean, you know, Michigan being back helps them a lot, but 
I'm sure that, you know, when they were pitching themselves to Fox and NBC, they were like, oh, yeah, and you're going to have to broadcast, you know, Maryland versus Rutgers sometimes. Sorry. Well, to kind of tie this back to what we were talking about before, it's going to be in like Kevin Warren very much wanted those night games in November because he knew they were going to be ratings bombs. That's right. So he advocated and literally shoehorned them into that deal without really consulting Penn State or Michigan State or Ohio State beforehand. But he did that in, you know, the best business interests of the conference. It's not right. like he was coming from a bad place. He just didn't do it in the correct way. Right. Uh, right. Contractually speaking. So it the it's going to be interesting to see how they try to force that issue with this conference going forward in terms of November night games. Yeah, I agree with that. So that's, and, you know, this is kind of a brave new world in a lot of ways, and not just in terms of conference realignment and who's going to be where and all that kind of stuff, but I think just the money involved, the idea that streaming is going to be such a big part of this now, like there are considerations that people in these positions have not had to make ever. And there's going to be a lot of mistakes. And that's what I mean about having a serious person, um, you know, who, who can make these kind of decisions with experience and, and maybe a forward thinking guy. You know, Jim Delaney, a lot of people would like rag on him or make fun of him. Jim Delaney is a really smart dude and, and honestly positioned the Big Ten, especially this is the thing I always say about Delaney. He swung with the Big Ten Network. He made a swing when the conference was really at their lowest ebb in a long time in terms of national relevance, right? Like the Big Ten was really seen as like the weakest conference in college football at that time. And Jim Delaney was out there in, you know, what, 2009 saying, you know what, we're going, or what, 2008? I can't remember what the year, 2007? When was that Appy State? Because that was the first game that they broadcast. App State? Yeah. That was 2007. Okay, so in 2007, he's out Donnie, there you need to know that as an Ohio State fan. That's right. That should be tattooed uh, in my brain. But my point is, is that Jim Delaney said, you know what? This conference is, yes, being made fun of nationally. It's looked as a one-team conference, and that one team is seen as not that great anyway. The rest of the conference looks like trash. And we're still going to launch this network because we think it's going to be profitable. We think it's going to be a big part of our model going forward. And people thought he was nuts. Like, honestly, it was not seen as a slam dunk. And then that first weekend happens and people go, okay, we'll give this a shot. It's still, the thing about the big 10 network is it's still not like this huge moneymaker or, you know, ratings driver or anything like that. It's never been, and it probably never will be, but it, it was part of the shifting landscape. And Delaney was smart enough to see that. He was smart enough to understand that that was going to have to be an essential part of what was coming next for conferences to have something like that. And it's, it's become an incredibly smart move in, the, in retrospect. I've said a lot of mean things about Kevin Warren today, but <laughs> here's the one thing I'll say about Kevin Warren relative to Jim Delaney. Jim Delaney did not advocate for Ohio State at all in the grand scheme of college football. We consistently throughout the college football playoff selection they were greatly let down in that regard kevin warren the first year he was in it's easy for us to forget as ohio state fans but it was kind of on the rocks if ohio state was technically going to be allowed to go to the big 10 championship that's, and that's right somebody somebody had to do a little rule adjustment <laughs> And, you know, given the times we lived in with COVID, desperate times call for desperate measures. Sure. And we must get Ohio State in the college football playoffs. So thank you, Mr. Warren, for, uh, you know, being flexible in times of, uh, you know, desperation for all of us. Right. And great crisis. Yeah, that I will agree. That is something he definitely can deserve credit for. And, and Indiana fans are still salty about despite the fact that they lost to Ohio State. So um, can I ask you a question, Johnny? Course, about always. What, what do you uh, – do you want to see a relegation system or do you think we're just going to have, you know, the, the baby teams kind of fall out of favor with the, the, the big players for the playoff? I, I think here's the thing. I don't think relegation can work in the United States with college football. I would love for it to that to not be true. I would love for relegation to be something that was possible. The culture in soccer in Europe is completely different when it comes to the culture in college football and the money involved and how teams work and what people expect as cool of an idea as relegation is right. Because it really just brings a ton of drama into to sports and, and, you know, gives a chance for any old little team to make a huge impact. Uh, it, 
we're so far into it right now with the haves and the have nots and, and how money is allocated. I just don't think it would be successful, which sucks because I think it's a cool idea, but I also don't think it would be beneficial to, you know, a lot of the teams right now that are fringe teams that really, here's the thing, man, like, you know, we talk about Ohio State and how successful and profitable it is, but a lot of these teams, a lot of these programs are taking subsidies from their schools, right, from their students to maintain their athletic departments. They have to do that because they're not making enough money otherwise. If you have relegation, especially for like these fringe teams in the the, the power five, you're just going to destroy athletic departments, right? Like that's basically what's going to happen instead. So again, re- I think relegation is a cool idea. I just don't think it's in any way sustainable in uh, in college football, which kind of sucks. No, I, th- I think that's a very realistic way to look at it. And I think when most people bring up this idea, they really don't think about the financial component for the little guys like that. So I'm right. glad that you acknowledge that side of it, because now I hope whenever anyone brings this up in the future, they can just, you know, beat people over the head with the argument. You just Yeah, you would, so, you would kill nice sports and, all, and not just football, but like all sports and a number of schools if you did this, because they just they wouldn't have any money coming in from the conference. It would be terrible to try to figure out television rights broadcast. I mean, forget about it. It'd be insane. Yeah, yeah, the setup just isn't there. And you would have to have a complete you'd have to have a complete rewiring of uh, of what, um, you know, it means to make money in sports in the United States. Now, what I will say, though, is I do really love somebody put this in Slack. I think it might have been uh, Dan or whoever, but they were talking about uh, relegation and then, you know, who uh, moved up into the EPL and like what their uh, playing grounds are their fields are right their stadiums are versus like you know you got manchester city and all that they're playing these palatial soccer stadiums but you get some guy that sneaks into the epl right and they're playing in like they're playing on a field that's situated between two city blocks right and then the entrance is squeezed between a bunch of like row houses and that's that's hilarious and that's fantastic. I love that idea. I would love to see Ohio State have to like amble down to basically what amounts to like, you know, a practice facility behind a dumpster <laughs> to play a football game. That would be very funny to me. Uh, but alas, that is, I think, not to be. So we'll have to now see. Ryan feels pretty close to that. Well, you know, like you said, man, I mean, they're 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 trying to they're trying to change that. So and maybe and maybe and, and you know, to, to put Clatt's. Uh, words into to practice they're like trying to avoid that horrible fate that might you know that might bump them down to a non-power five conference you know i I really that metaphor actually rings more true than i i first realized because the only big 10 i i've never been attacked at a michigan game but the only place i've the only big 10 football game i've ever been attacked at was when Ohio State hung 56 I think it was the game when uh what's his name hit the 55 yard field goal uh oh. which was his career long in Evanston uh I can't I, they hung 56 on him someone tried to break a bottle over my head in the oh my god on the way out because I was wearing an Ohio State who would get it was, would it get, was bad what Northwestern fan would get that upset about Northwestern losing that uh, a, a member of Pike oh well there you go makes sense um <laughs> so uh, that's that's kind of the major stories we're going to talk about. There's other stuff going on. We will definitely address that throughout the season. Uh, we'll get into some of these other uh, stories that have been going on. But just wanted to address those two. I thought they were interesting, especially the stuff with admins behaving badly and how that connects to um, uh, you know, broadcasting rights and all that good stuff. We you love Champagne remind- Larry, though. Or sh- and Champagne. Man, sh- I wish I had a cool-ass nickname like Champagne Larry. You could be Champagne Johnny. I don't like I've Champagne advocated for you to be Johnny Dubs, but you you've re- you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what? Way back in the day, I don't know if I told you this, because I get sick a lot, right? Like, I don't, I'm just like a magnet for illness. Um, a previous co-host of the Dubcast, Michael Citro, called me Captain Trips <laughs> as a... As, uh, reference to the stand, Stephen King's uh, now work. That's the name of the virus that sweeps through America and killing everyone. So I appreciated that. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for uh, you look trip. far from sickly, Johnny. I'm Dogs. doing great. Actually, the past couple of weeks, I felt amazing, which is really surprising to me because I thought I would be like, you know, hacking, and coughing at this point. But I'm doing awesome. Um, marvelous. Thank you. So. We want to remind you that Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. It's summer. It's it's not summer, but it feels like summer because it's like 90 freaking degrees outside, and I hate it. Um, but 
buy some shirts. It'll keep you cool. That's what I think. So we also are going to go ahead and pivot to our favorite part of the Dubcast, which is ask us anything. And we want to remind you, you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions to Dubcast at 11warriors.com. And like I said, pretty much anything that you want to know, we can go ahead and, and get into it. Um, you know what? <laughs> Unfortunately, so I first of all, I appreciate all the questions that people have been sending. Secondly, and this isn't on you guys, the issue is is that I get all this spam email from people saying, like, I just got a question for you. And it's like, how would you like to talk about duck breeding on the dubcat? I'm like, no, why do you quit sending me crap? Like there are people who just spam me with the most insane thing. I mean, ever. let's let's not rule anything out here. Well, I have read a couple of those on the Dubcast before. Some of the more insane ones are, are pretty great. Maybe that's what I'm doing is encouraging this. But let's ask a real question. So this is from Kevin who says, uh, I have written one book and I'm working on a second book. First of all, that's awesome, Kevin. Congratulations. I would love to hear more about your books and I would love to talk about it on the Dubcast. Um, have you guys ever written a book or thought about it on what topic, if so? Best, Kevin. I haven't written, you haven't a, written book, a book. No. <laughs> I don't know. There's, uh, I, you know, I've got a friend who who's a writer, and she's written um, a couple of books, more than that. I think she's written maybe three or four books, and uh, it's a fascinating process. It's not one that I've ever done. I've thought about it. I've thought about writing. I've got some ideas in my head percolating. I feel like if I were ever not doing Eleven Warriors writing, I would probably try to shift to, you know, some kind of other creative writing. Um, I think I think where a lot of this writing starts is people get their inspiration from things. I, I you know so I work in a library. I talk about that, and it's interesting to kind of read some of the materials that we get. And you know it's promotional stuff about authors. And you know, if, for instance, the Columbus Library is having a big book festival this summer in July, and I've read all these blurbs about authors and where they get their ideas and all that stuff. And a lot of it comes from their personal life or like from an experience that they had. But one thing that's been like in my head since I learned about this thing is there. Uh, so I used to be, you know, a history teacher. And so I was doing like research on, you know, lessons that I was teaching and things like that. And I was reading this book uh, called The Rites of Spring, which is about World War One. It's kind of it's a, it's a history of World War One, but it's done in a really interesting way. And he mentions this guy. I think it's Modris Eckstein's. I can't remember the name of the author. I think that's the guy's name. But he mentions this dude who was involved in World War One and negotiations that were happening between the British and um, tribal groups that they were trying to organize against the Ottoman Empire in the Middle East. And essentially, the story of this dude is that his name was uh, Muhammad Sharif Al-Faruqi. And he uh, so what he did was he was an Ottoman officer who waltzed into these uh, tribal camps and said, hey, the British the British want to work with you guys. They're going to give you what you want. They're going to help you out. They're going to help establish a state for you. They're going to give you financial and military support. You just need to help them against the Ottomans, right? And he wasn't, he defected, he quit, right? Here's the problem. First of all, he had no authorization from the British to do this. In fact, nobody had told him to do it. He just did it. He just showed so he up. He was Kevin Warren a hundred years that's ago. That's right. He just shows up and says, hey, uh, yeah, the British are going to help you out. It's going to be great. They're going to give you a state. They're going to give you money. They're going to give you guns. It's awesome. And they believed him. They said, wow, that's awesome. Let's do it. And then he went to the British and said, hey, guess what? <laughs> You'll never believe this. The tribal elders are totally on board. You don't have to give them anything. It's fine. They just they really hate the Ottomans and they just want to fight. And the British were like, awesome. <laughs> Great. They believed him. Here's the other problem. Again, Muhammad Sharif Al-Faruqi uh, is an Ottoman officer. There are language barriers going on here. There are multiple languages being spoken in this interchange, and Muhammad Sharif Al-Faruqi doesn't speak all of them. So he's going through, not only is he making stuff up and pretending to be like, and claiming to be a representative of each side when he's not of either side, he also doesn't speak the languages that they speak. So basically he just tells both sides what they want to hear, and they create an alliance, and the British partition Palestine... <laughs> based off of all of this crappy information they got from this dude. And of course the tribal elders are super PO'd because this guy lied to him. Here's the thing about Muhammad Sharif Al-Faruqi. He dies a couple years later in a, in a raid in a caravan he was traveling. Nobody, he, he left no papers. He left no memoirs. Nobody knows really where this guy came from, why he did what he did. 
or what his goals were. He never became like a famous dude. He didn't get a lot of money for it. He just caused chaos. He just, he, he went, he told people what they wanted to hear and then he left and then he died. <laughs> and so that story is fascinating to me. It's one of the craziest stories I've ever heard in history that he was able to basically establish what the Middle East looks like today on a whim. And so that I think is wild. And I want to write a story based on that. And I don't know if I ever actually will, but I have thought about that for a lot. That is a, there's so many things about that that fascinates me. So I want to talk about that at some point. I will say the biggest project that I ever have done in my career was like 84,000 words. It was spread out across. Like it was spread out across probably at least six months of work. Um, What was it about? motorcycles hell yeah no that's awesome uh, dude that's great yeah. that's cool no, but it's all you know it's all like i guess organic content or whatever yeah uh, but eighty four thousand man that's a novel dude that's all yeah it was basically like when we when we started putting the project together it was like wow like this is enough words that we're budgeting here that this is basically a book it just isn't really a book but it so. is a book i mean honestly you should get that it together does. and publish it that's 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 kick-ass dude that's no awesome. i don't think so i don't need that <laughs> <laughs> i i i never need to hear anything about motorcycles ever again all right so this one here this is from uh this is from evan and uh, he says it's a little bit longer but um it should be good So he says, hi, guys. The other day, uh, our six-year-old forgot to flush after making a deposit into the number two bank. Love how you phrased that. Great job, Evan. So, of course, our dog, oh, God, uh, an Akita German Shepherd mix, figured that someone had left him a special treat in the water bowl of power. (laughs) Oh, my God. So when he went in to get some of that delicious brown trout, he got his head stuck in the toddler seat that sits on top of the regular toilet seat. We discovered this when we heard him crashing around down the hall, trying to get the toilet seat off his head, snout stained with poo and dripping water, and toilet seat trailing from his mouth and feet. It was the most hilarious and disgusting things I've ever seen. It's a very Uh, Ohio story. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. As I was both laughing and trying not to hurl from the sight and smell. Uh, that's horrible. Um, what a beautiful mess. That's pretty good. So the question is, what is something disgusting and or embarrassing that a pet of yours has done? I don't know that I, I can top that. That's gross. That's great. Yeah. Um, the brown, the brown trout, uh, you know, that's a lot of detail. I, uh, I've had, I've had two cats. One, one of my cats that, I mean, they're both, they're still, they're like 16 years old. So they've been around for a little bit. Yeah. We actually got the first one during the Ohio State Michigan game when Beanie Wells went off I can't I think it was 2008 when it was at Michigan we actually adopted her during that game it was Man, a that's awesome story. but the other cat we have you know they've they like sleep he he basically behaves like a dog he sleeps on his back he wags his tail when he's happy he eats like a dog he nice. sleeps and he poops like a dog so i guess that would probably be the grossest thing one of my pets has done is i have a cat that takes dog caliber poops oh god uh <laughs> you know what props to the cat that's you know what salute to that cat that's awesome um, shout out to snooze he's a he's a trooper there you go you know what i would say young. um for me it's not like disgusting in terms of like poop or you know blood or anything like that however our dog did get skunked once and ran in the house oh, and ran into every room of the house and i you know there are a lot of skunks in my neighborhood right i smelled skunks really? before you know it's oh yeah and it's not this isn't an uncommon occurrence for a skunk to go off like under a porch or, you know, in or around, you know, our garage or something like that. But I will say that having something that's been skunked, you know, or having that on your, on your person as I did when I was like trying to like rein them in is a completely, that's a whole different beast because I got to tell you something. I can't accurately, yeah, I can't accurately describe that smell. It, It, the only thing that I could say is that, it felt like it felt like you could feel it. It wasn't like you're smelling it. It's like it's, oh, yeah. it's imbuing itself in your being. It felt like something was wrong with the universe. Like to go like it, tomato soup bath and everything. That after does that. nothing. No. We, we found something online. It's called R86. It's like an industrial 
uh, like, oh, wow. yeah, it's like an industrial decant, uh, decontaminant or, or decenter or something like that. But it, it really smelled like something was wrong with the universe. Like there were fundamental laws of physics that were being broken for it to smell the way that it did. So I was, I was like throwing up and like dry heaving and stuff after that. But it, it really needs to be emphasized how unbelievably bad that smells like it's again it it doesn't it's not just that it smells bad it feels like something is wrong and you're going to hell (laughs) like that's what that's what it smells like like you've committed a sin that's how bad that is so that to me is the worst thing him getting skunked and running all around the freaking house it was awful yeah my mom had a wiener dog as a kid and i think that he i think he got skunked and yeah, it's she, she told many of the similar details that you just did. So yeah. I wouldn't wish that on anyone's pet. It's bad. I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> so that's Ask Us Anything. Keep sending those in. Poop related, literacy related, whatever you want to talk about. I think that's fantastic. We love that's, poop here on the Dubcast. Oh, we sure do. I mean, really. it's the. I mean, like, I've been trying for years to get more poop into our... <laughs> into our discourse well now that we're now that we're on video it's a whole new world for that so oh i know right so many opportunities (laughs) Uh, so that's ask us anything keep sending those in we'll keep answering them uh let's let's talk about this let's get out of here on a few uh quick hitters here and and i we got to talk about national championship ohio state men's tennis fell short in the team uh competition however uh, Lachanig and Trotter, okay, Andrew Lachanig and James Trotter uh, fought a, uh, a Texas doubles team, the team that they had beaten previously this season, and beat them 6-4, 6-4 in the national championship. They take home the trophy. Horns down. It was sick. I Look, I'm not a huge tennis fan, and not because I think it's a bad sport or anything like that. It's just you know, not something I ever get super into. I watched a live stream of this, and I was super into it. It was great. The commentators for it were really good. They they kept it engaging and funny. Um, it was it was a it was a cool thing. So you know even if you were not able to watch it uh, yourself, um, there was uh, some highlights that I put in there on uh, on the website. I would check that out. They ended it with an ace. That was cool. James yeah. Trotter smashed home an ace, and, and you know they won it, which is super badass. They the the real turning point in the match was uh, them breaking Texas's serve in the second set. And that was at 4-4 at that time. They made it 5-4. And after that, it was basically just all Ohio State. There was no way Texas was coming back from that. So congrats to them for getting a national championship. That was kick-ass. That was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. they. Uh, I know Texas had kind of been their nemesis for a little bit. And I know they've yeah. been at the top of the sport for a while. So to finally buck them in uh, at least, if not in the singles, then uh, the, the the doubles, you you love to see it. So chalk, chalk another one up in the Stanford Cup race for our good old Buckeyes. Yep. Uh, also, Ohio State, uh, their 23rd of September road kickoff game is going to be at 730 on NBC. I don't think anybody's shocked by that. Um, kind of a soft landing for the Big Ten and, uh, at NBC because you got a Notre Dame game that you can kind of like shoehorn and be like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, I don't think anybody's surprised by this, obviously, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I missed last year's Notre Dame game for a wedding, and I'm going to miss this year's Notre Dame game for a wedding as well. That's messed up. That's super messed up. And you know what? For a wedding game, no, it's not, spend, not good for spend, the 11 Warriors brand. I was about to say, you should send them an 11 Warriors shirt. Right. It says no fall weddings, Ramsey. And actually, you can get Ramsey to record them a special wedding message too, uh, to let them know how badly they screwed up on that. Um, that should be fun. I actually, you know, there's still going to be some things to figure out. But September 23rd, I think by then, uh, things will be pretty solidified in the offense. I think Ohio State's going to walk on that one. I'm not super concerned about it. Um, but who knows? We'll see. Lastly, I want to get out of here on this. Uh, the the discourse, the memory among college football in the past week was been uh, the only school with a blank, right? So Auburn was the only school with a Buc-Ease, apparently, which is some kind of gas station. Who cares? Uh, Lane Kiffin retweeted, uh, the only SEC school, he's referring to Ole Miss, the only SEC school uh, with a Chevron that sells chicken on a stick. I thought that was pretty good. So what is Ohio State's? The only Big Ten school with a blank. What do we, what do we got? Um, uh, I, I was thinking of so many good ones when I was on the plane. Um, most of them were pretty tongue in cheek, but 
I don't know. I'm trying. You know I'm trying to jog my memory. Help me out here, Johnny. Quick. Corporate. You can't be like the only place where you can like get you know a plate of lasagna and shivved in the same building. You know what I mean? Like we can't do like that. You can't say that anymore because Mama's doesn't exist. Um, that's the problem, man. When you make it so homogenized, you know we're <laughs> the only the only Big Ten campus where a guy can charge you like you know, forty dollars for a DVD of cool runnings. You know, like stuff like that. Like <laughs> a lot of these record places, they just they they've been out of business. It's unfortunate. It was uh let me get the turn okay the only school with its own power plant its own zip code that was that was always something I thought that's was pretty really cool. cool yeah the only the um, only uh, the only Big Ten school with a uh, ten degree line of latitude running through it I don't know <laughs> that's not as fun that's not as fun as chicken on a stick at a Chevron was, hmm, yeah. Well, I mean, we have canes. That's that's we better. So we don't we don't you know lower ourselves to we don't we we don't have canes popsicles up here. I mean, what kind of it's it's complete. It's bad. That's backwards thinking. Come on, we don't need chicken on a stick. We got Maybe, we got cane sauce. I do think one of the things that's weird is that Ohio State bought a bunch of low rent um, like hotel rooms and turned them into dorms like across the street from campus. You know what I mean? Like that almost feels like the setup for a, a horror movie. Where it's like, yeah, we put the bad kids in there. We just wanted got, to see what would happen. I, I, you gotta understand. I, I was in black. They, I was directly admitted to the uh, business schools of freshmen. So they made us live in Blackburn in 2012, and yeah. then after we moved out, they knocked it down and they put up the, you know, the so, like the, the dorms that they had on South Campus. They put up the the they matched them on North right after that, and we were. I mean, the dorms literally had not been renovated since my dad was at Ohio State. That's, right. that's how it was. It was like living in a sardine can, and then they got those floor to ceiling windows where they were writing notes to Baker Mayfield and stuff. And it was I was I was so envious the things that I would have said in those windows, Johnny. But now <laughs> now I'm here and I get to just yell at the world, and it's, yeah, it's great. The fun stuff, the real fun stuff on campus, either you know was kind of destroyed in the past five or ten years, or it simply moved right to a few <laughs> to a few blocks up or up or down. Um, cause there definitely are still some craziness if you want to find it. Uh, the only school with a coach that choke slams one of their fans. <laughs> That's pretty I've funny. got a very funny story about that, by the way, that includes my direct involvement. Oh my God. Well, you know what? I, I, I for another like, episode of the Dubcast. I was about to say, I think that may have to, to be on the back burner cause that sounds particularly juicy. I want to make sure that gets Absolutely. the time that it deserves. Um, and if you have any like mascot fighting stories too, that's always fun. Um, I do appreciate that the guy who did that at Ohio, like spent a year planning that whole assault on Brutus and basically like afterwards said, yeah, that's why I did it. Um, so props to that guy. That's pretty hilarious, but we'll get into all that stuff. We'll get into more off season things. There's all kinds of things going on. It's, it's pretty crazy. If you can think of like the most unique thing that is on Ohio state's campus, particularly relating to, I don't know, gas stations that do weird stuff. Uh, please let us know. I would love to hear it. Um, but we'll talk about all that stuff next week and in future weeks and subsequent weeks. But until then, I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you then.